You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord, we thank you for this day that you give us. This is a day that you have made. We will rejoice in it. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are in him. And we pray that as we think of your word and reflect, that your Holy Spirit would guide us. And I give you thanks for everyone present here and ask that this lesson will be a blessing for them and for myself, uh, for your honor and glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so uh, the, the title uh, for the lesson is a little bit different from the one that I gave it last night as I was, um, so I, I guess I can change titles. Uh, and so the title that I gave it for today is uh, The Love and Holiness of God. The Love and Holiness of God. Um, welcome, come on in. And I want to begin with a question, and the question is the following. Uh, who is God? Who is God? And I want to suggest that at the moment, there are at least, welcome, come in. Uh, at the moment, there are at least two competing discourses in popular Christianity about who God is. There may be three or four, but at least two competing discourses in popular Christianity as to the question, who is God? One uh, answer to this question is the following. God is fundamentally love. Who is God? One answer is given is God is fundamentally love. Then love is defined more or less in accordance with cultural tropes. So God is fundamentally love, but then what love means is defined in accordance with what the culture may say love is. Uh, so that's one, uh, come in, uh, that is one uh, presentation of who God is. The other uh, discourse in popular Christianity as to who God is, is the following. God is fundamentally holy, sanctus, to use the Latin term. Isaiah chapter 6, holy, 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 is often invoked as a proof text for this conception of God. Just like God is love is used as a proof text for the previous conception of God, i.e. that God is love. God is holy is defined as God being just, set apart, moral, worthy of humans utter respect as one famous uh, author put it that i'm not going to name uh, in a podcast 
How can a being who is not morally respectable be loved and be worthy of our love for him? So those are the two, again, at least the two fundamental <clears throat> competing discourses in popular Christianity. One, God is fundamentally love, and the other one is God is fundamentally holy. And uh, when I use the word fundamentally, I'm using it quite literally. Uh, it's, it's really the, the grounding, the bottom. Everything else comes up from there. God is fundamentally love, and God is fundamentally holy. Um, and so there is a crisis in popular Christianity as to who God is. A German author by the name of Oda uh, Wischmeier uh, recently wrote a book called Love as Agape, Love as God. She's a professor at a university in Germany. And uh, uh, she's wanting to argue for the importance of the first uh, conception that I presented, that God is love. Uh, and she says that, that a book uh, presenting God as love is necessary today for the following reason. And here's a quote from this uh, German New Testament scholar. Quote, The impetus for this study, love as agape, is uh, the impetus for this study is the perception that in our so-called Western world, the role of Christian love and mercy as a whole is fading. So Oda Wischmeier, as she looks around, both as a scholar and as a Christian, says we need to talk about God's love more and more because, again, uh, in our so-called Western world, the role of Christian love and mercy as a whole, is fading. Will you agree with that statement? Well, as far as uh, concretely, uh, concrete actions, I think that we can say, yes, love and mercy as a whole is fading. We have wars. Uh, we have many little, war, little wars, wars, excuse me, in some countries that are not worthy of the news, uh, but of course we have the big war right now between uh, Russia and the Ukraine. So that shows us that there's a, there has been a loss in love. There's also violence in all the world, but for us North Americans, uh, whatever our political standing on the bearing of arms, we cannot deny that we are uh, in shock and sad by the many shootings in schools, going all the way all the way back to Columbine in 1999, and so on. Uh, shootings in Las Vegas in concerts, shootings in schools. Uh, the weapon sometimes doesn't matter. Sometimes there are stabbings, and sometimes it's just bare hands choking and killing. We live in a nature of violence. In a more existential or personal level, uh, the failure to love uh, is seen in our own lives. 
and that is in our failure to change, in our failure to become people who are more for the other instead of for the self. Um, I just saw the first commercial. Um, I think it's a tad early for it, but it's out there anyways. Uh, I don't remember if it's Twitter or, or one of the uh, apps uh, about change. A girl comes and says, you know, uh, she looks a little desperate that this is the year that I am going to make that change that I've been wanting to make. And, and that change that, that I think she is referring to is fundamentally to live in a way that is beneficial for the neighbor. So I agree with this German scholar who says that we have lost in the Western world uh, our conception of love and mercy and that it is, quote, as a whole fading, fading at, a, at a, a big level, if you will, wars, but also failing at a personal existential level. Um, this, this failure to change um, is, is uh, ex expressed in, in, in many ways, but let me mention two ways. Uh, they are, one is, uh, well, one is anecdotal, the other one is more news. Um, when you pray, should your prayer begin with confession of sin? If God is holy, if that is your understanding of who God is fundamentally, then when you come to Him in prayer, should the first words coming out of your mouth be, Lord, I confess that I have failed you today in this way or the other. In some ways, the Book of Common Prayer leads us in that, in that direction. And when I was a very young Christian, my, uh, Christian, my sister, who had been in the faith for a couple of years, told me, uh, always begin by confessing your sins to God because God is holy. Interestingly, though, in the Lord's Prayer, the confession of, uh, of sin is not the beginning of the prayer. It comes, uh, what, fourth or fifth petition? And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And so later on, I'm going to talk about the, the methodological problem of how you read the Bible to answer these questions. Do you cherry-pick verses? Or is there a broader method to understand how uh, you should come to God in prayer? So, to again, to clarify, I am speaking first about the... Uh, the, the, the conception of uh, whether God is fundamentally holy or God is fundamentally love. Uh, and and one, of those, one of the places where that is shown is in prayer. That's, that's an anecdotal uh, uh, example, but I'll give you a more uh, sad and uh, more or less known example. A student in the, at Moody Bible Institute about uh, 15 years uh, committed suicide and he committed suicide because he could not stop looking at pornography he was a student at a, a place that prepares ministers, ministers of the gospel and he could just 
uh, he just could not stop. He had confessed, he left, he left a note. He had confessed this sin to God hundreds of times, asking for God to take that away from him, to change him. But he could not change. And the only way out uh, was suicide. Failure to change. Uh, the view that God is fundamentally holy has also been uh, made known by uh, what I am calling uh, a popularization of a certain Calvinistic understanding of God. There is now a popularization of uh, a type of Calvinism that goes, goes back to the Synod of Dort, really goes back to John Calvin, Synod of Dort, and that you also find in the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, and, and this understanding of God has to do with uh, election or predestination. Uh, and when you read Calvin, for example, in the Institutes, I don't have the quotation. I have it in, in a book here, but I, I couldn't find it. Uh, I thought it. Yeah, don't trust yourself that you're going to find a page real easy. Uh, but uh, but uh, John Calvin says in the in the uh, Institutes that not every human is not every person is created equally. Some are created for uh, salvation and some are created for damnation. That is uh, developed a little bit in the Synod Synod of Dort. And then you also find that in English, in the uh, Westminster Confession of Faith. And that's uh, the doctrine of double predestination. Now let me make clear uh, what it is that uh, this type of Calvinism says about predestination. It is the following. It is not, that, it is not the idea that God, from eternity past, looked to the future and saw you and responded on the basis of your conduct. That's not what they're saying. Calvin is not saying, well, God looked at you and he saw that you would be a very evil person. And so therefore, from eternity past, he elected you to be damned. Or the opposite, God did not look from eternity past at you and saw that you were a, a very kind person. And therefore, he chose you to be one of the elect. Uh, this type of Calvinism says that irrespective of what you would do in the future, God made a decision. And the decision was uh, that he would save some, elect some for salvation, and elect others for damnation. Uh, that's a pretty heavy doctrine of predestination, and it's being preached more and more today uh, for people who want to uh, emphasize uh, the holiness of God as the, as the fundamental attribute of God. Uh, think of the doctrine this way. I'm, uh, where maybe it hits home for me. Uh, I love my wife, but let me mention my son, who is 11. Uh, if I believe this doctrine, this doctrine may, may mean that God created my son Philip 
from eternity past for the whole purpose of damning him for eternity if he's not one of the elect. Excuse me. And I'm supposed to, uh, and, and the answer is, uh, to that is that I'm supposed to worship God in this mystery. It's a mystery. Uh, this type of double predestination Calvinism says. It's a mystery. We don't know who the elect are and who the them are. But uh, whatever happens, you are supposed to praise God. So imagine that again, if your child was, the sole creation of your child would be that she would be born uh, and you would take her to church and preach the gospel. But because God, who's the Almighty, before eternity passed, if God decided that your daughter is going to go to perdition, there's nothing else that can be done. And that is the purpose for God's creation of some people, while others He has, predent he has predestined for uh, election or for, for salvation. Again, this is very popular in today's evangelicalism. Uh, you turn on YouTube, uh, you see some uh, more serious writers, and that is the presentation of God that they're given. By contrast, uh, the Book of Common Prayer, which is, we are Episcopalians and Anglicans, so we are Reformed, right? Uh, by contrast, in the Book of Common Prayer, in the uh, articles, um, let me see if I can find it again. <laughs> the articles uh, says the following on election of predestination. It says, predestination to life is the everlasting purpose of God whereby before the foundations of the world were laid, he, he hath constantly decreed by his counsel secret to us to deliver from curse, to deliver from curse and damnation those whom he hath chosen in Christ out of mankind and to bring them by Christ to everlasting salvation as vessels made to honor. But it doesn't go to the other side of election, of predestination, that is damnation. It just leaves it open. The Book of Common Prayer, it says, again, that God, any, for anybody to be saved is because God has made the first move. God has chosen that individual to be saved. But what about those who are not saved? The Book of Common Prayer is silent. Whereas the type of Calvinism that you find in Calvin, the Synod of Dort, and the Westminster Confession of Faith, does dare to say why some people are damned. And the answer is that God so chose. Uh, by the way, the, I hope this is not controversial, but the catechism that we use for our children at the Advent is coming from the Westminster Confession of Faith and not from, the book, not from the Book of Common Prayer. So it's a question I ask. Uh, why, why are we doing it like that if we are Episcopalians? Lastly, uh, on, on, the, on the idea that uh, God is fundament fundamentally uh, holy uh, is uh, questionable methods of reading the Bible. Again, uh, 
this person that I that I didn't mention, and I'm not gonna mention, uh, <laughs> and, and don't uh, corner me and ask me because, uh, well, I might tell you then. Uh, but uh, but this person said, look, God is holy, and uh, that's who He is fundamentally, because. Uh, in what other passage of the Bible do you hear, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty? Isaiah chapter 6. And so that serves as a proof text for this person that God is fundamentally holy. Well, my answer would be, well, what do you do with then with 1 John chapter 1? Uh, uh, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever. So, uh, there are questionable methods of reading the Bible. Uh, I suggest that, that it's better to look at the entire narrative movement of the Bible uh, and to see uh, whether God is fundamentally loving or fundamentally holy, or as I'm going to suggest to you, both but perhaps not in the way that we think. Okay, so uh, that is the first part. Uh, uh, who, who is God? And the, and the answers that we are, that we are getting. Uh, and uh, first, I spoke about uh, why we need to talk about love. And that is because uh, there's a lot of discourse about God being fund fundamentally holy. Uh, I want to now speak about the other side, if you will, um, that God is fundamentally love. Uh, let's see how we're doing with time here. Okay, we have a few minutes. Uh, so here's a proposition for us to think about. The, the holy, uh, and it's going to give away my, my answer a little bit, which is not original with me, of course. In theology, there's rarely anything original. You know, St. Augustine or somebody like that already had the answer. But, uh, but, but here's the way that I'm putting it. The holy God who is fundamentally love and the loving God who is fundamentally holy. The holy God who is fundamentally love and the loving God who is fundamentally holy. So, what shall we say about the conception of the Bible that God is fundamentally love? Uh, let me make a few statements here. Uh, and here I am being, uh, to be fair, I am being uh, moved and shaped in many ways by uh, Karl Barth and, and other theologians. Love. Uh, number one, to say that God is love means that God, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, seeks and creates fellowship with us. When we say God is love, we are saying that God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He, although He does not need to, because precisely as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God has fellowship within Himself, uh, nevertheless, to say that God is love means that He seeks and creates fellowship with us. 
That is the nature of who he is as God being love. Again, as Karl Barth put it, God has decided that he does not want to live without us. Not, not because he needs us again. But he has decided that he does not wish to live without us. Number two. God's love is His act in the Son through which His incarnation, death, and resurrection He reconciles Himself, excuse me, He reconciles humanity to Himself. So, so again, God is, uh, uh, love is God seeking to create fellowship with us and that is instantiated, if you will, in the fact that he sends his son uh, so that in his incarnation we're celebrating advent in his incarnation his crucifixion and, rec and resurrection he reconciles humanity to himself so that that is what it means for god to be love uh, it's an act you know god by his acts uh, you cannot start or you should probably not sit on a couch or under a tree or whatever and start thinking, who is God? <laughs> but rather look at the revelation of God in Holy Scripture and see His acts. And His acts are uh, these acts, these acts of love uh, that began in Genesis when Adam, Adam and Eve sinned and he forgives them and, and, and clothes them and continues when he delivers his people out of Egypt and continues when his people sin and sin and are exiled but he brings them back from exile and culminates in the birth, crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's sort of a narrative understanding that I would suggest for, for viewing God as fundamentally love. And out of that uh, uh, essence of God, His being love, flow the following three things. The grace of God, the mercy of God, and the patience of God. Because God is, because God is love, He's also, therefore, gracious, merciful, and patient towards us. Okay? So, again, God's love is... This is who he is. He was not, there was no pressure from outside to make him like this. This is just who he is. He has decided that he does not wish to live without us, even though he doesn't need us. And he has shown that love climatically in the uh, Christ event, in the birth, uh, crucifixion, and and. Uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's uh, the one side uh, of God as loving, fundamental loving. Now, what about the other side, about God being fundamentally holy or just or whatever language you want to use? Now I'm going to give you uh, some suggestions to say that just as God is fundamentally loving, His love is fundamentally holy so that we have a God who's not split but who is both loving and just 
equally. Um, the language that I want to use is the language of freedom. When we think about God's holiness, we should think of freedom. That is to say, God is not forced from the outside to be something that He's not. So when we speak about God's holiness or God's freedom, I want to make the following statements. Number one, this is not an addition to His love. You see, for us as human beings, uh, one thing must replace another. Uh, we have to do things in, in sequence. We have to be. We have to do one, two, three. Uh, we have to do A, B, C. And and one, the two replaces the one, and the three replaces the two, and so on. But I am suggesting to you from Scripture that that is not how it is for God. He can hold all these things as one precisely because He's God, while we humans cannot. So, just as we said that God is fundamentally loving, we can also say that God is fundamentally holy. But that is not an addition to His love, that is part of His love. Number two, this clarifies that the God who loves is His own person. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just as God's love is not a general idea that is imposed on God, so God's freedom or holiness is equally not imposed on God from the outside. Here's what I mean by that. Um, oftentimes we say uh, when somebody sins, um, they, have to be, they have to be punished. Right? Isn't that the idea? When, 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 when I sin... Uh, Okay, still a couple more minutes. Five more minutes and we're done. When I sin, uh, Scripture is clear that, uh, that, that, there, that there is a consequence or a punishment for my sin. Where did that idea come from? For some people, that, for some people, that is an idea that they think is sort of floating around in the universe. And that it captures God. But that's not, that's not what it is. It is, the way, it is like that because that is the way that God is. You see, there is nothing outside of God that is going to uh, corner, put God in a corner and say, hey, if they sin, they must be punished. And God, you better obey that principle. Because then that power, that would be a power equal to God. The reason why there must be atonement for sin is because that's the way that God said it would be. Precisely because He's holy. Do you see? So, uh, and our conception of justice then is, uh, some of you may be attorneys here, our, conceptions, our conception of justice is therefore derivative of God's being. Uh, it's not something that is floating around in the universe, that, that there should be punishment for those who break the law. Number three, this means that God is the Lord. But, to quote Karl Barth, His Lordship is in all circumstances the Lordship of His living and loving. And one more statement, another quotation from the same author from Barth. Quote, God is gracious, merciful, and patient, both in Himself and in all His works. This is His loving. 
But He is gracious, merciful, and patient in such a way that He is also holy, righteous, and wise. Again, both in Himself and in all His works. For this is the freedom in which He loves God. Excuse me, for this is the freedom in which He loves. This is the freedom in which He loves. And so out of the freedom of God emerge concretely these attributes of God. The holiness of God, the righteousness of God, and the wisdom of God. That's all I have in my notes. Uh, I'll again, I'll make just one more statement, uh, and I'm going to use the word paradoxical or dialectic. Um, uh, God is love in such a way that He is just. And He is just in such a way that He is loving. And He alone can be like that because He's God. So the popular discourse in Christianity that splits God into, He's either holy because Isaiah 6 says, holy, 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 or He's only love because, well, that's the... You know, that's in vogue in our culture. Or First uh, uh, John 4, those kinds of discourses, I think, are not getting at, uh, at what Scripture uh, is getting at about who God is. We have like three more minutes. Uh, I'm happy to take some of your questions or criticisms uh, or thoughts about this. Uh, initially, for me, it, it was not an easy concept to understand. But uh, as you reflect on it, it, it makes sense as much as we can make sense of God, which is limited. But any questions or thoughts? That happens to me. Yes. Yes. When we go in that direction, if we go the, the, the way of anti, antinomianism, right? That, that God, is just, God is just love and you can do whatever you want. There's, you know, uh, that is going to have... A tremendous effect on how you live eventually leading to a out-of-control narcissism that is not for the other but it's just for me and, and vice versa uh, when it's just law yes um, but I, okay that's for another time because I want to suggest to you that that attribute is God so I want to suggest to you that uh, Love is not, again, some substance that is floating around in the universe, but that God, that God is love. But I don't want to say that love is God, because that, that would be problematic. Uh, but God's justice, God's love, God's mercy, is God Himself acting in a merciful and loving way to you. It's not something out there that God uses to act upon you. So we want to be careful that we don't fall into this Greek, it's a, really a Greek dualism that, uh, that splits God from His acts. God is His acts. So when we say that God is love, we are saying that He, 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 he Himself is love and not something else. Kristen, you had your hand up. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, I, think, I think that's helpful. Or when we get home, we can, you know, we can disagree. Uh, 
Well, those are some thoughts. Uh, maybe on another occasion we can do uh, uh, deep, deep, deep in a little bit. Uh, but those are just some things for, for us to reflect upon. Well, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.